So tell me, do you currently follow the 12-week year plan yourself? Heck no. Why would I do that? (laughs) Of course I do. Of course I do. Yeah, we operate that. We 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 don't teach anything or ask our clients to do anything we don't do. That's the first place we prove it out. Before we ever took it to clients in the marketplace, you know, we worked with it. So how long, like, have you done it before you even, you know, started going public with it? I don't know. That was a lot of years ago, but we used it. Uh, you know, there were different aspects of it that we started working with mm-hmm. and then kind of added stuff to it, took stuff out that didn't work. And it was, it was really a process. For everybody tuning in, uh, if you want to put a face to the name, today's guest is Brian Moran. You might know him as the author of The 12 Week Year, and he could also check him out on his website, 12weekyear.com. That's 12, the number one, two, weekyear.com. And on the very top, there's a free three-part video course uh, series. uh, Not a course, it's a series that dives into the methodology of the 12-week year. And that's free, so be sure to check it it out. Free, free, free. It's a good price. (laughs) You can't go wrong with free. Oh, you can. <laughs> and your and the plan itself is free, right? You can just download it. Everything's free. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by the plan itself. I don't know. What uh, that- well, the actual layout, right? The structure. Um, do you, is that provided in that methodology? No, that, that's just a video that's going to really help you understand the twelve week year. And mm-hmm. from there, there's a bunch of other resources. Some are free. Some are you know everything from online training to coaching to all kinds of stuff we do. So, but that's a great starting point. So I know you answered this in the book. I know uh, to an extent, I know you probably were asked about this, but why 12 weeks? You know, why not? Why not one quarter? Why not yeah. six well, months? So, so let me ask you this. So a quarter is part of what? Uh, a whole, I guess, whole. part of a, video, right. a game, part of a game. Right. It's part of a whole, right? So there's the idea. One of the things that happened when we were working with clients is we did what everybody did, right? We set annual goals, we created annual plans, we broke them down quarterly, monthly, and weekly, and we got good results. We didn't get what they were capable of, and we realized it was the annual environment that was the impediment. And so, <clears throat> some people think all oh, the quarters, just, the twelve week is just a quarter. You're just semantics, right? That's totally different. The twelve weeks is the year. That is the year. There aren't four of those in the year. That's annualized thinking. That's part of the barrier because. The mindset in an annual cycle is I got plenty of time. January rolls around. December's a long way off. Everybody's thinking they're going to have the best year ever. They get to the end of January. They're all behind. Oh, yeah. But nobody's concerned because the thinking says, oh, I got plenty of time to catch up. And that's, that's the mindset that is detrimental to anyone performing at their best. And so um, the 12-week year actually blows that concept up. That's mm-hmm. why the 12-week year is a standalone as a year. There aren't four of those in the year. It's just this 12 year followed by the next, which is, which is very different than quarters. So what do you tell to, to those people that are always pushed, you know, it's, it's that time of the year again, got to get your goals down that time of the year. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we are here right now. We're here right now and people are stressing out and, and some of them will hit the goal, but it's at a big cost, right? There's a lot of stress created in that. Sometimes you sacrifice holidays and family and sanity, but here's the bigger thing that sacrifice that people aren't even aware of, and that's that all this capacity that you have mm-hmm. earlier in the year was untapped. And you can't go back and capture that. You can't go back and make up capacity from last week, last month, last quarter. And that, honestly, is the difference between where people are currently performing and what they're capable of. It's not about working harder. It's not about working longer. It's about being more focused 
on the few things that really matter most. And so with the 12-week year, you know, every 12 weeks is a year, there's a hard line in the sand. There's a deadline where you're going to measure your success, your failure. So there's a, a sense of urgency in that that doesn't exist in an annual cycle. And it's, and it's not the stressed out urgency that, mm-hmm. that people are feeling right now. It's just this healthy sense of urgency and a bias for action. So being that we follow a calendar year, and that's pretty much what most you know, people here on earth do, you think that is that part difficult? to kind of retraining your brain to think that it's not really, it's not really a year. Yeah, it can be. It's not like flipping a switch, right? Because yeah. everything you've done to your point has been annualized, mm-hmm. but you can periodize your practice. And even, even in large corporations where they're, they're, they're annualized and you're not going to change how the corporation operates mm-hmm. um, for the individual, they can operate on a 12 week year basis. Because here's the thing. If you're killing it every 12 weeks, the annual stuff takes care of itself. Exactly. I think I, that's a pretty good way to put it too. I mean, uh, that, that's probably a quote we should put yeah, on Instagram so. right now. Or, on <laughs> we will, we will. <laughs> Producer Steve, if you're listening, yeah, get that, get that one, get that, get that one. one would you? I, I, so is the next goal to try to push, uh, to push politics, to change the, the year to a, to a four, four, four no, time. No, <laughs> no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not changing actual time here. No, we're not, we're not no. making. No. Okay. But how you, how you operate in it, how you view it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. That's the and, key. It, and it just shows you that it doesn't matter what uh, kind of uh, outside factors are there, right? It's how you look oh, yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, is this something that you work with people a lot? Cause you offer, you know, you coach, you speak. Yeah. Yep. So you probably focus a lot on mindset. I would think is one of the keys, right? Yeah. So there's two aspects of that. One is, one is the thinking, the mindset, the other is the actions. And, and our actions are always an outgrowth of our thinking. So if the thinking doesn't shift, the actions don't. Um, so yeah, we're working on both those levels. And, and part of the 12 week year is a massive thinking shift. It's getting out of the thinking that, 12 months somehow defines a year, um, which is fine for society. But when it comes to performing at your best, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it's too long a time frame to plan for. Um, it's too long a time frame to feel like you're going to build momentum and sustain it. And, mm-hmm. and it's too long a time frame to wait for the results to come. And it just did a lot of pitfalls in the annual environment, but people have been doing that for, you know, hundred plus years and, uh, and pretty locked into it. And then when did you, when was that point in time that you sort of jumped ship? You know, you made the call that this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to put this plan into action. I want to write a book about it. And, uh, you know, after that, things kind of handled itself. But, you know, before that there, you know, there, there was, there's a gap. Yeah. There's had to be a few things that happened. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, you know, it wasn't like a big car accident or anything, but what (laughs) happened was, I was in I was in corporate America, and then started in a, started up a company in health services that I still own today, and then started doing okay. some coaching and consulting locally, and really kind of thinking about you know what's the value I'm going to bring to those clients because when I consulted with a big company we did a lot of process reengineering we did cultural leadership work, um, but I had this realization that most most companies had plenty of great ideas and lots mm-hmm. of resources and most of it was untapped, and that what they really needed whether it was individually or corporately was they all needed to execute better. And, and my belief is that if the average person just did more of what they already know, right, they'd have 
they'd have better health, they'd have better relationships, they'd make more money without learning anything new. Um, and so that's when I started to focus in on the execution and what does it take to execute at a high level? So is it possible that we could all know and do too much? Like, you know, imagine there were a hundred or thousands of Elon Musk's running around. Like, yeah. is, is, what would happen to, to us? Wouldn't to, that be a good thing? <laughs> would it though? Is, could it be scary? There are, there are hundreds of them at different levels, right? I mean, there's constantly people innovating. Millions. And, yeah, yeah. And, and making things happen. That's a good thing. That's, that's what improves the world for everyone. Do I you, mean, what, you, got, you, got some, you got some stuff you're doing, right? That's making a yeah. difference for the environment. I mean, um, will it be as big as impact as Elon or uh, Thomas Edison? Who knows? But, but you're having an impact, and that's what counts. But can there be too many of us? that are going that approach? Like, you know, there's the whole, so, man. you gotta be an entrepreneur. If I, if I run into that, okay, <laughs> you, you let me know, but that's not what I'm, that's not the problem I'm seeing right now. No, <laughs> I'm, I feel like everywhere we turn right now, everyone's an entrepreneur or trying to hop on that, on that wagon. You know, not, not, there's, it's not as easy. I like for me in my industry, it's not as easy to find, find workers, to find people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot. It's interesting that colleges, universities teach entrepreneurship, which is the biggest oxymoron there is, I think, because they're so institutionalized. I don't know how they know what they're teaching. But, you know, um, for young people in particular, that's the best time to go out on your own because you have so little to risk. You don't have a lot of overhead. You probably don't have a family yet. Not a lot of, you know, take the risk. If it works great, if it doesn't, so what? Um, there's always learning from it. There's always experience from it. Um, and no, I don't, I don't think there ever could be too many entrepreneurs, <laughs> if that's what you're asking. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll yeah. come back to you one day and, and we'll deal with that and problem. And you'll say, yeah, we got, we got 10 too many. All right, we've, we've gone <laughs> over got, the threshold. I we need help. we out 10 Brian. people somewhere. Yes. Let's make plans for all of them. Let's do this. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah. Um, essentially, why, uh, what about audiobooks? Like, is that you know, and audio in general, do you feel that that's a trend? You know, y your book is obviously available as an audio book now. Yeah. Do you prefer to have it read, you know, out loud? Like it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. I didn't read it. So, uh, you know, it's somebody else's voice, but however yes. people consume it, consume it. Right. I mean, I still like old school. I like mm -hmm. to flip the pages and that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't even do it on a, on a reader. I do it old school. Um, but whatever works for you, the big thing is just learn it right? Never stop learning and, and, and apply what you're learning because knowledge for knowledge sake is not real beneficial. Great ideas, worthless unless they're implemented, right? So, so when you're reading stuff, when you're learning, you got to think about, and this is where my business partner, Michael Lennington and I, this is probably our genius. Everything we come across, our, our mindset is how do we apply it? How do we help others apply? It? Because that's, that's when it has impact. Um, if not, if you don't apply it, it's not, yeah. I, I would, I would argue it's pretty worthless if you don't apply it. So, you know, whether, whether you do audio books, whether you do the, the Kindle, whether you do old school, it doesn't matter. Um, however you're learning, just make sure you're applying. Yeah. Cause just being in this, uh, in this scene myself and interviewing <laughs> other entrepreneurs, there's definitely a trend that there is an over influx of information. You know, we go to these conferences, everybody wants to go to the next one, to the next one. And we just consume, consume, consume. Yep. And that's, that's kind of an issue, isn't it? That you're it trying is. to solve. And I think it's because it feels good in the moment, right? It feels like, 
It's like a crack cocaine addict, right? Hey, I, did, I just read eight audiobooks last week. Yeah, Beat right. that. Right, there you go, right? I get this hit. It feels good. There's hope for the future. And then I, because I don't do anything with it, now I need to do it again. I need to go to, I need another book or I need the next seminar to pump me up again. Um, nothing wrong with that. But again, you're adding potential to potential that you haven't even actualized yet. So why are we expanding the potential before we've even taken and acted on the potential we have? Um, that's all. You know, what's and, your, what's your like, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the 12 week year is all about helping you take what you know and what you're learning and go to market with it or, or apply it in your personal life or wherever you're going to apply it. So then as you learn new things, now you've got this platform to actually execute it. So it's not just more head knowledge for you. It's actually making a difference in your life and in other people's life. So I take it you're the kind of person that likes to, uh, likes to speak to these people after they get all this information, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I got the sense. Well, I'll tell you that, you know, I do a lot of keynotes. I do them at the mm -hmm. end of the conference because the people come away with all this information and, you know, most of them are going to leave and not do anything with it. So, yeah. Is that when you jump in and you're like, well, okay, yeah, I came here? Take a, pick a few of these things and let's mm -hmm. really go to town with them. And how do you, how do you approach that? Like what's your, uh, what's your quick little, can you give us like a five, five step quick tips on what to do next? Like when we are at an influx of information? Well, the first is get out of the annual environment, right? Set some, set some 12 week goals and, and maybe start with one because mm -hmm. one's better than two, two's better than three. You have limited capacity and you want to focus that energy. Um, so, so set a 12, you know, we're coming up to, to January. I'm not sure when this will air, but right now as we're talking January. Right around here. People are going to set these annual goals. Forget that annual stuff. Set a 12-week goal. And then figure out the plan, but, but look for the critical few. Don't create a plan of everything you can do. Create a plan of the critical few, the least things to accomplish the goal, which is going to force you to prioritize the activity. What are the most important activities that are really going to move the needle? And then lock and load that thing and every day, every week, work from that plan. Don't, don't create a plan every week from scratch. Or you, all that ends up in mm -hmm. there is the emergent, the urgent, the non-important. And so people are dominated by their email and their voicemail mm -hmm. and their texts. That's not what's going to move the needle. So what do I do, like just for anybody else in my shoes that – you know, these things keep popping in, popping in throughout my day that just yeah. get in the way of the, and the bigger goals keep getting pushed, you know, till 8 p.m., till 10 p.m., till the next day, till the next day. So here's what you do. There's, there's a couple good chapters in our book on time blocking. So you're going to block out time to work on the important stuff and you're going to block out time to deal with all the other crap. So don't answer the For phone golf. when it rings. Don't check the email when it bings right? There's certain times of the day you're going to go check email. There's certain times of the day you're going to check voicemail, that type of stuff. Because if you don't, if you don't take control of your day, you're mm -hmm. going to be consumed by it and you're going to be reactionary, which means then you're not in control of your destiny. You're not in control of, of, uh, of your goals and, and you're not working your plan. The day's working you. How do you get past that point though? Like where you learn to say no, you know, to these things that could be driving your business, for example, not answering a call. Well, so here's the thing about that, right? If you've got a good solid plan that's going to get you to your goal, then it's easier to say no to that other stuff. Because you look at the bigger picture, I'm assuming, yeah, right? because you know that if I do this stuff, at mm -hmm. the end of 12 weeks, I'm going to be where I want to be. So that phone right now doesn't matter. And candidly, you know, here's the, here's the, uh, here's the illusion, right? That, that phone call may be a sale. Yes. 
right? It could, yeah, it could be a thousand bucks for your business, right? It might be. And if it's not there two hours from now, then it wasn't a sale in the first place. So if it's truly a sale, it's not going away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, the illusion is, you know, because I operate in a scarcity mindset is the phone rings, I got to grab it. It might be a sale. 90, 99% of the time it's not. And if it were, it would be there anyway. So what happens is now you're just giving up control of your activity, which is, you know, we don't control the outcomes. The goals are the outcomes. We control the activity. So when we give up control of that, we're giving control. We're giving up control of our outcomes. We're giving up control of our destiny. And you bring up an interesting point uh, that we have a scarcity mindset. Um, that, that's a quite an interesting way of looking at it. Why, why do you think that is? Is it just the way we were raised or no, the environment? No. Most people that have that mindset, it's because they don't do the heavy lifting, the, the core activity. They don't do enough of the, so let's take a sales example. Get, mm-hmm. you know, pick, a, pick a profession you want to look at. But if we take sales right sales there, there are core activities that you got to do day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And when you're not doing those, then the results aren't coming. So when the results aren't coming, I go into scarcity mode, man, I need this next sale. I need this sale really, really bad. And so I'm desperate. So I'm hoping every call is when they're not. Um, if I would just focus on the things that really drive the outcomes I want, then when the phone does ring, it's going to be the right kind of stuff. And, and even if it doesn't ring, I'm making things happen. But that scarcity mindset comes because we're not doing the things to really drive the results we want. And then we're hoping almost like something magical falls in our lap. It's so weird, right? When you, when you know, when you try and you know it's going to happen, it usually happens. Like it's, it almost, that's when it falls into your lap, when you believe in it. Yeah, well, you and I were talking before this call too. You know, it's not about doing it one time, yeah, right? It's the consistent activity time and time and time and time and time again. Um, because the success curve isn't straight. It's a jagged curve. Oh, yeah. And, and if you're only doing it when you feel good or you're doing it occasionally, then, then there's a lot of valleys on that success curve and not too many peaks. It's the consistent action on the things that matter most that over time begins to, uh, begins to respond like compound interest. And that's what happens with the 12-week year. It focuses you daily and weekly on the stuff that matters most. And so you get more of it done. Not all of it. Not perfect, but more yeah. of it. And a couple of weeks to that, no big deal. But day after day, week after week after week after week after week after 12 short weeks, you know, now it's starting to compound on itself. And that's when it gets really exciting. That's, so it's, it's about keeping it going, consistency, yeah. right? Because you mentioned at some point uh, in your book that like just 10% is better than essentially doing nothing at all, right? Because that keeps compounding. That makes sense. And, you know, kind of going off of what you're saying, that it's not a straight, you know, I wish it was a perfect line, but it's definitely not. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you didn't become a New York Times bestseller overnight, right? There had to be something that happened along the way that, you know, sets you down pretty, pretty, pretty quick. We had to do the work, you know. So I'll tell you the story Mm -hmm. about that because it's, uh, I think it's a great example of the 12-week year. Um, Michael and I were headed to a conference and we were going to be a vendor at it. And so we're thinking about, you know, what are we going to hand out to people? What's shiny stuff, right? And I've been thinking Always. about writing a book and I talked to ghost authors, didn't like that process. So we said, look, let's just, let's write a short format book, forget all the fluff and we'll go self-publishing. So we wrote this thing in 12 weeks, went down to Kinko's and the big gamble was, do we print 50? Do we print 100? Because we didn't want to bring any back, right, from this conference. So we print 100. We go to the conference. We sell them for 10 bucks each. We sell out. 
from that, we sold 100,000 copies of that book. It literally changed wow. our business, changed our life. And then Wiley came along and said they wanted to publish it. And so the 12-week year is an expanded version of that. Oh, we, wrote okay. the, we wrote the original book in 12 weeks. Okay. And was that one just like a 20, 30 pager? Like 48, page, 48 page kind of okay. pamphlet style book. Condensed Which, version. If you look in the current book, it's in two sections. The first, I think 64 pages is much like the original book was. And then we expanded the back of it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So was there a moment though, when you didn't think it was going to work out? Like was before all that, maybe, maybe it worked out perfect, but before you got there, was there a lesson you had to learn that you kind of stumbled on? You know, we're still learning those, right? I mean, there's stuff we try today that doesn't work. The lesson is don't expect it to work the first time. That's the lesson. Um, because rarely does it work out the first time. You know, that's why the persistency, that's why the consistency is so, so important. It's not like, you know, pe- people want to uh, get in shape and so they go from diet to diet, right? They go from South Beach from years ago to paleo to keto. Hey. You want good health, you need daily, day, good habits, daily yeah. eating, daily exercise. Same thing with finances, right? It's all about the daily mundane is really. And, and that's the thing people avoid. They're looking for the one big sexy home run kind of thing for most people that doesn't exist. And so the expectation that, look, it's not going to be, it's not going to be perfect when it comes out. It's going to be flawed, but I'm going to dial it in because I'm sticking with it. That's the key from, from my perspective and the, and the, the thousands of people we've worked with. You're, you're really hitting it home here. I, I, am, I am working on, uh, on my diet, right? I, I hate to call it that, but yeah. before, before, before the wedding, before the big day. There you uh, go. So yeah. I'm actually going to be incorporating your plan myself, my, my second crack at it. Um, so this time well, it's just about- Check out ontargetliving.com, my buddy Chris Johnson. On targetliving.com? Yeah, yeah. Because oh. if you're really serious about your health, not just the diet, you mm-hmm. need to get on some superfoods because they'll, they'll help you get healthy from a cellular level, which will make it easier for you to lose fat, gain muscle too. But what do you feel? I, I'm not saying this one is. I don't know enough anything about this one, but what do you feel there are just way too many fads out there though? Oh, yeah. These keto and the paleo. Yeah, like, paleo, all that stuff, right? How do, how do, you, do you keep that out of the 12-week plan? Well, I don't, I don't, that's not in my plan. My plan just has, you know, good, good eating habits and working out yeah. habits. Um, and so you actually, you, you, you don't want to label it a diet at the end of the day, right? It's more of a I, habit. I, I don't because what happens is the, the diet ends. <laughs> and then ends. You go back to the way, you know, and then there's this cycle again, right? Yep. So to me, it's about, okay, let's, let's figure out a lifestyle, and this is for my wife and I and our kids, a lifestyle that works, you know, and it's not about, it's not about never having cheesecake. It's just about, I'm not having it every night. <laughs> um, that type of stuff. And finding a, an eating plan, a, a, a meal plan that, that mm-hmm. works for you um, and an exercise plan that works for you. How do you, uh, since now you are definitely traveling more, speaking, you yeah. know, here and here, uh, how do you deal with that with having a family, having, you know, having a couple of kids? Yeah. Is it, has it been tough on you? No, no, I'm, I'm probably going one night a week. Okay. Uh, there's, there's weeks where I'm going a couple nights, but mm-hmm. we take a lot of time off in the summer. We've got a cottage on the lake and we've got horses that we show and stuff. And so here's the thing. I was, I was fortunate enough to have two amazing parents and siblings, a couple siblings. 
And so my wife, Judy, and I are very intentional about family identity and what we do with our kids and, and uh, very mindful of the fact that we only have a certain amount of time to screw them up before they go out on their own. So it's good. That's so a good way to look at hard it. to do that. <laughs> How to, that's a book idea right there if you're looking for a second one. How to not screw up your kids before their time is up. Yeah. Yeah, our goal is to screw them up because someone's going to screw them up. It might as well be us. You know? Right? At least show them, at least screw them up the right way. Screw them up in the end fashion. There you go. Is there, a, is there a second book in the works? Yeah. Yeah, we're working on, there's two chapters in that book on accountability. We've got a, a new book we're working on right now about that whole concept. We've got a new uh, leadership track called The Accountable Leader. And find it at accountableleader.com. Um, but that's such a game changer for anyone in a leadership position and really anyone, um, anyone trying to accomplish things in their life because the, the notion of accountability in society is always associated with negative consequences. I mean, any day you can go to the news or the sports and, and someone's holding someone accountable, which means oh, yeah. they're punishing them, right? And, mm-hmm. it, and it's just it's such an unproductive view. And so we, we kind of, we have a very different view of that. Um, and uh, that's, that's what the next book's about. That's the positive reinforcement, right? Yeah, it's really the notion of accountability as ownership mm-hmm. based on the fact that we all have free will choice and then taking ownership of those choices. Uh, and so from a leadership standpoint, rather than holding people accountable, learning to hold them capable, what does that mean? And how does that change the relationship and the dynamic and the results? And it's, it's, a, it's a truly a game changer. And when can we be on the lookout for that? Or is that still, still some ways? Yeah, we're, we're shopping it right now to publishers. Um, so it'll be out in 2020 at some point. Oh, okay. Really date yet. Yeah. I'll let you know. You can let your listeners know. Awesome. Definitely. We'll do yeah. But right now they could get more about it on accountableleader.com. They could yep. check it out. Accountableleader.com. Awesome. And cool. uh, so that's kind of like, did you know this is what you were going to do? You know, say 10, 15, 20 years ago where you're like, no, uh, here I am. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Like, you know, which is interesting because I'm very intentional with my vision and stuff. Uh-huh. But when I was in college, I was, uh, I was working UPS in the evening on the reload to pay for college. And they offered me a promotion to run the reload, a part-time supervisor. Mm-hmm. And I was getting a degree in physiology to be a strength coach. But I thought, you know, this is interesting. A little more money, a little benefits, probably great experience. And so I took it. And mm-hmm. um, the guy I ended up working for was – really a neat guy. He was very much a coach, which back then, I know that sounds like no big deal to guys like you. Back then, no one talked about a manager as a coach. It wasn't in the vernacular. Mm-hmm. No one even thought of that, but that's really what this guy was. So I learned a ton from him. And then uh, so much so that I switched my degree to business. And then when I moved to California, got in with PepsiCo, joined a consulting firm and and then went out on our own. You, you know, like like most people, I think the I think the stat is 82.3% of Americans want to write a book. I mean, really? I thought to myself, you know, that'd be great to write a book, but I never, I never, never was sure that I would write a book. I don't, I'm not, I'm not an author first. You know, we wrote that book and what we did is we just documented what we were doing with our clients <laughs> and what we had done in our own business. And you could, you literally, you could just go to Kinko's and just print it out. Like, was it just like a bunch of papers? Like, you know Do you have a copy of it? The original? Yeah, hang on a second. Gotta dig one out. I mean, you're giving me some motivation to do it now because it's definitely been on my mind. I never knew 82.3% want to write a book. That's Periodization, 12 weeks to break through. That's and it. They, they were that's able to print it out like that? That's healthy. That's, yep. 
Uh, we first saddle stitched it, which means it's stapled. This one's mm-hmm. glued, but same, same thing. And they were able to do that at the store. Yeah, Kinkos. Uh, Kinkos. Wow. Yeah, learn, yeah. Something, learn something new every day. There you go. So that excuse is gone. Yeah. No, that is. I mean, <laughs> now I, I thought I had to find some publisher and stuff, but no. No, heck no. No. You'll make yourself. more money. You'll make more money anyways. I mean, on a published book, you make a couple bucks a book. You sell your own. You, you, you know, you make eight or ten bucks a book. Because so. what is a publisher for people that don't know? What do they pull out normally, give or take? The bulk of it. Really? They get, they, oh, yeah. They get the bulk of it. I mean, we get, I, I think we get a couple bucks a book. Huh. Yeah. Why, why is it that high? That's know? the way they do it. So you want to play that game. But, but the, the huh. game is you cannot become New York Times bestseller if you self-publish. So there's a, there's a game. So it's a numbers game, essentially. Right. Either you make more, stay on your own, or become yeah. part of that. But yeah. you could potentially. Yeah, you got greater exposure with, yeah. with a publisher than you might on your own. and. Um, you know, some of that kind of stuff. And for, for anybody else out there that's, that's listening, that might be in my, how I was, you know, in my shoes, a couple of years back, sitting in a cubicle, miserable, contemplating, you know, suicide, contemplating, uh, you know, losing uh, everything kind of, you know, just not happy with my life. You know, I, I got, I got obese during that time. I, I lost, you know, like the people I was with, um, yeah. and I stopped kind of associating with people. I was miserable. I hated my, in my life, but what would you tell to someone like that? That's debating if entrepreneurship, if this life is for them, because it's not so easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd encourage anybody follow your passion. If it's entrepreneurship, follow it. If it's, if it's, um, corporate America, follow it. Right. There's not, not one's not necessarily better than the other. It's really what fits for you. I've been in both of those worlds. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them both. There's, there's things I miss about, large corporations that, you, you know, I worked in, um, the, the free pay travel. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much that it's just the, the resources that you can yeah. do some things that you can't do in a small company, but there's benefits to, you know, so just follow your passion. That's, that's the key there. And now moving on to our listeners favorite segment of the show. Welcome to the round with no name. Cause they're all taken. All right, so not to put any additional pressure on you or anything, but here, this round, you're going to get five seconds. Five seconds just to spit out an answer. We want to know what the real Brian Moran is thinking. That's kind of scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, we're ready. Otherwise, my producer, he always finds out when I'm recording. He gets here, he gets to my studio, and he... uh, he comes out and gives us a hard this time. Could, this could be the most boring segment you've ever recorded. Right? <laughs> you know. Come on. All right. Well, well, let's make it the most boring lightning round ever in history. Right, here, we here we go. Who has been the person you were most nervous about meeting? person I was most nervous about meeting. Gosh, I can't even, I don't know. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Um, president <laughs> or someone you actually met and you were like, ah, no, see, I'm not a big movie star kind of guy. So I've mm-hmm. met, you know, I've met Arnold. I was probably, it was probably Arnold. I was 16, met Arnold. I was in the bodybuilding and yeah. Cause I, I really idolized him at the time. Yeah. So did a lot of people. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Your favorite book, not yours. Favorite book. Uh, probably feel the fear and do it anyway. Susan Jeffers. Great book. Favorite movie. Favorite movie? You gotta give me a genre, man. Right? Is it comedy? Is it? Uh, is it so? In comedy, you know, it's Go probably Chris, Christmas Story. Okay. In drama, adventure. 
probably a Christmas story and horror, probably Christmas story. So might be Christmas story. That might be my favorite. There seems to be a theme here. Yet you ask for categories. I swear. Yeah, there you, you know, go. You know, no, I, I mean, yeah. You almost have to give a genre, but I love Christmas story. It's just a great movie. We quote those lines all the time. I'm looking for a Christmas movie to watch, actually. Have you seen that? That's like the only one I didn't see because oh, I keep on, thinking. Man. I don't know. It's every time. No. You know. is it, it's that good, huh? There's, yeah. My, okay. It's happening. My father's obscenities are floating somewhere over Lake Michigan. That's a great line. Yes. I will be able to relate to it next time, maybe. Say you were stranded on an island. And with this question, hopefully you will be prepared in case you are going to be. What is the one item you want with you? Can't be a person. Oh, I was going to say my wife. Um, That's the easy answer. Uh, for, for me, honestly, it would be the Bible. That's, uh, I mean, anything that, right, to be able to read. And uh, books, yep. books are definitely, yeah. well, you could get a Kindle, like a Kindle version and you could. That is the one thing I do read on my phone, that one. But because um, it's too big to carry around. But. Yeah, right. That's yeah, not that's exactly the, the easiest thing. item. Not exactly the easiest item to bust out right. <laughs> anywhere. Um, say you had an unlimited amount of money now. And you can, and not, not unlimited, let's cap it at about $10 million. But you have to start a business. It can't be your own. What would it be? Well, I have a couple other businesses. So um, I, I do something I'm familiar with. Right now I'm looking to purchase uh, an insurance agency. Okay. So, probably just purchase a few of those. Why insurance? Because I like the business. It's, uh, it's got residual income to it. It, it mm-hmm. makes a difference for people. It's, uh, it's protecting people. So it's not, it's not like selling widgets or something like that. And we do, we do a ton of work with, within that industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'd be oh, the, that, that's they, what I'm looking to do right now. Okay. And how do you drink your coffee? Black. Decaf, up, huh? decaf black. Same here. That's actually my preferred choice. I can't do the caffeine anymore. I just can't. No, it, it kills me. It's and it's it's not good for you anyway. So, why why do you uh, why did you switch to decaf though? Like, is there a reason? No, yeah, I had gastritis, had a lot of heartburn, and uh, yeah. Same. So I, said, for me, it was anxiety. I would. Yeah, get, I don't like, do any soda. Fidgety. I do San Pellegrino. Um, haven't drank soda. Fancy in, water. Yeah. Uh, that's how I lost all my like weights during my transformation. Quit soda, number yeah. one thing. That corn syrup, it's killer. And what is the one item every day? Maybe you consume it or it's something you wear it on your person, but you can't go a day without it. It's like the one thing that makes you you. Um, hmm, don't know, honestly. An item, I'm not sure. I mean, it could be an easy item, like you drink water every day, but I don't know. Some people consume something every day. They got the green shake. Um, you got- yeah, so I do wheatgrass and oil every morning. What kind of oil? Fish oil. Fish oil. And why those two, wheatgrass and oil? Kind so of there's, there's three superfoods I do. One is wheatgrass, mm-hmm. and, and this is where you go to On Target Living. I'm plugging my friend again. Check in there after. The reason, here's why. Wheatgrass is the, probably the most potent food on earth. It has over... 90 vitamins and minerals, hmm. and the source matters. Like you take a vitamin, it's synthetic. And wheatgrass is very alkaline too. So what you want to do, keep the pH in your body alkaline, not acidic. Mm-hmm. And most of the stuff you eat and drink is acidic. Soda is super acidic. Coffee is acidic, that kind of stuff. 
the, the oil is about keeping the cellular wall healthy, right? Which leads to better health, better metabolism, longevity. And then spirulina, Corella is the third one. That's, it's an algae that builds your immune system. So those are the three things I do every day. And the whole family does. Oh, wow. Do you, uh, do you take it in like capsule form or do you actually like no, the real, so, the real thing? Um, we do the wheatgrass are frozen cubes. We just melt them in warm water. We call it shooting the grass. Uh, we do it every morning. That's good. And That's the, good. Uh, the oil is a liquid. It's lemon flavored. A couple of tablespoons of that. And uh, the spirulina, little tabs. Mm, interesting. There I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah. If you're, awesome. if you're looking to get in shape, those three foods in particular really make a difference. They're not, yeah, fish oil is a big one, but the other two aren't always as talked about. There's, I guess nowadays there's everything, right? Yeah. Everybody's claiming something else is, is the, the real the real good one. Yes, CBD oil, right? It's a oh, yes. for yes. everything. It doesn't matter what's going on. That'll fix it. Yeah, I mean, that, that is one I experimented with as well. I mean, I've, I feel like I've tried everything. Um, but you survived, you I survived. Like Mr. Clinton, you didn't inhale when you experimented with it? <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good oh man well that, that that's just the cherry on top you survived i survived my there producer my producer did not come in he did not uh disrupt this okay. so we're, we're good yeah we're good but thank you so much brian moran you know for everybody uh be sure to uh put the face to the name and check out his book 12 week year uh, go on the website 12weekyear.com and at the very top, we have a three-part uh, video series that's free where it dives into the methodology um, behind 12-week year. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time, being, uh, being yeah. on the show here with us. And Mike is yours if you have any uh, final thoughts or anything else you want to share. No, I'm good, but I uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. All right. Till next time. That is all for this episode of Boss to Boss. Your next step is to visit boss2boss.com, where you will find proven techniques followed by professionals to help you make that next step. Again, that is boss, the number two boss.com. And remember, the time is now. <laughs>